Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody just stay standing. I always love praying before bringing the Word of God in. What a very kind and heartfelt introduction and you know we are what we are by the grace of God. Something I told my staff recently, I said, guys, I want you to remember this statement. If you don't remember any other statement, <laughs> Jesus said this to his team. He said, you can do nothing without me. I love that about this church, what I sense with this staff. And so I was going to bring a message this morning, and during worship I felt to change it and more speak from my heart. So maybe another time. Um, so I apologize in advance. I, I've got no PowerPoint. Um, I, I hope you're all right with that. Okay, good. But I do want to say that uh, it's an honor to stand here on your fourth anniversary. It's a responsibility. And I really believe in this couple. I believe in them because they have tremendous vision. But I also love that they're humble. And can I tell you, I've been probably over a thousand churches. Uh, next next year, uh, June 20th, will be four decades of ministry. It'll be 40 years earlier that we went into ministry. So I've, I've seen a whole lot in my lifetime, although I'm, I, it's far from over. I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, but when I see leaders that have strength, vision, and humility... I know the church is going to go far, and I know a lot of people's lives are going to be impacted. It's already happening. I think you have to be blind not to see it. I think you have to be completely spiritually deaf not to sense that the Holy Spirit is moving fresh in this church. I think what I want to share with you is something that I wish somebody would have shared with me 40 years ago when I started. I'm going to share with you what I believe is so necessary to see a move of God coming. And I, I, I just want to, I just want to, first of all, I can't preach without showing you my family because I love my family so much. So let me just really quick, because I'm starting to go into that phase already, but th- we just had a wedding. All right. So um, it, it took place the last weekend of June and our third son was our last son to get married. And so you can see, you know, Lisa and I, uh, two weeks from today, we hit 40 years of marriage. I, I told her, I said, uh, I'd marry you in a heartbeat again if I could. And I'm really excited about our next 40 years and on and on and on. And she's my very, very best friend. And I'm so excited I get to hear her preach in the second service. So if, if, you're, if, if you're into double dipping, please don't miss second service, all right? And so our, our third-born son got married to Maddie. Maddie's, of course, the one in the beautiful white dress. She is Australian. I want to tell you a story. I was preaching for the Hillsong Conference in 2007, and Alec was 15 years old. You know, the Hillsong Conference was always the first week of July. So it was 4th of July, and they said, we need two Americans to volunteer. Alec, of course, 15 years old, not afraid of anything, runs up in front of 22,000 people. And um, somebody comes to us in the green room and says, your son's on the platform. And I'm like, what? And so I run out. And so they look at him and they said, we want you to sing the Star Spangled Banner in the key of C. And this horrid look comes over his face. 
and uh, he um, realizes that somebody in the back behind the curtain is going to start singing. And so, it's, so he's hamming it up, right? Lisa and I are laughing our heads off, and a lady from Fiji comes over, taps my wife on the shoulder and said, that son will marry a daughter of Australia. Wow. My wife said, oh, no way. He's not, a, he's not an exporty. We have to have an import situation. So <laughs> Maddie, um, Maddie, Maddie started interning with us, uh, I think it was three years ago, and all the interns were told, do not talk to Bevere boys, because three of the boys were single. And she took it literally and didn't talk to him for the whole year. And he thought she was socially, you know, <laughs> handicapped. And then he, she went back to Australia, came back to California. They happened to meet at a, at a function. And he thought, oh, my gosh, this girl is totally socially beautiful. And so he pulled her away from seven guys. And they ended up getting married. And so there's our daughter from Australia. And so you see um, our other daughter-in-laws, our sons, three of our sons work at Messenger International. We have six G-babies now. You say, what's a G-baby? I'm way too young to be grandpa, so it's G-daddy and G for short. And so we just had a little girl born last year. I want to show her to you. Her name is Scarlett. I don't know if I've got a picture of her. Yep, there she is. Okay, now, do you see those eyes? Those eyes say, I know exactly what's going on in your soul. And so we just had another one come uh, a month and a half ago, and that is... That's Azariah, and I am so happy we finally have a child who looks Italian in our family, okay? Because I'm 70% Italian, Lisa's 50, don't even let her tell you that she's more Italian than me. She may, she may have a citizenship, but I'm more Italian. So anyway, I finally have a grandson who looks Italian, and I'm so happy about it. But anyway, that's our family. I'm so in love with our family. And you've got to remember, our, God is a family God, all right? He loves family. And we are his family. Isn't it wonderful? I want to pray. I want to ask that God would speak to us this morning, to you personally, as well as to us as a church. Being the fourth anniversary of the church, I really am believing that God will speak prophetically today to this church about its future. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. And we're so grateful for what Jesus has done. You could have made us slaves, and that would have been amazing. So much better than being apart from you forever. But you called us sons and daughters. And so, Lord God, with a grateful heart, we come before your throne and we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would do what you love to do the most, and that is that you would glorify Jesus in this place, that as you exalt him, as you lift him up, that we will be drawn to your heart. And we ask, Lord God, that, Lord, we would go from faith to faith and glory to glory this morning. Give us a vision of what's coming. Lord, show us how to have the character to handle what's coming. And, Father, we declare that your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done in this place in San Juan Capistrano on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor, and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Amen. Come on, give him praise. Amen. You can be seated. I just want to say that I think you have two of the most amazing leaders and, and listen, I'm, I, I do not believe in flattery. I would just say something else if I didn't believe it. Right. But I believe that God has given you two amazing leaders. And I just want to encourage you as a church, please not only grab the vision, but grab their hearts. What I'm going to share with you this morning, I believe is the heart of your leaders. And I want to see it spread into this church because I believe God has big, big plans for this body of believers. I really do. I see it so clearly. I've been here twice. This is my second time. The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, let me come back. A lot of times, second times, I see things a little clearer. There is huge plans the Holy Spirit has for this church, okay? 
And so you might as well realize that a church is not made up of a head. It's made up of an entire body. But the important thing is, is my hand is not rebellious to my head. My feet are not rebellious to my head. We're in sync. We're one. And the Bible makes it so clear how can two walk together except they agree. When we do walk together and we are in agreement, the Bible says that is where God commands his blessing. So you've got to understand the enemy's number one job is to create division among a body of believers. If he can create division, it gives him legal access. And so what we need as a body of believers, if you say, hey, Oceans is my church home, we need people whose hearts are one. If you look at the upper room, the upper room is absolutely an amazing, an amazing reality of what it takes to have a move of God. You will look at the upper room and find 120 people scared, hiding, because Jesus has been crucified. He has been raised from the dead, but they know there is a very very offensive front against the movement. And so they're hiding. And Peter one day bursts out of his study. They're in this upper room. I guess there's a little place for him, or maybe he's in the corner. And he said, guys, I just read in the book of Psalms about Judas. He said, this is amazing. The psalmist wrote about this. What Judas would do, even to the point of sharing bread with our Lord. And the psalmist said, let another man take his position. Guys, we got to replace Judas. So he said, I want everybody to look and and find out who's been with us since the baptism of John. And we're going to bring them forward and we're going to draw lots to see who God chooses. You got this? Now, how many of you know God does not choose an apostle through a lottery system? Seriously, Peter, are you really serious? I mean, he's completely out of sync. Okay, and I'm going to tell you why. Because Paul later on wrote, I was one born out of due time. Paul was God's choice to replace Judas. See, if you look at the apostle Paul, when Stephen was being stoned, he was in his, if I really studied this well out, he was in his puberty years. Okay? So what that means is when Jesus walked the earth, which was four years earlier, he's too young. So that's why he writes to the Corinthian church, I was one born out of due time. I, I, he's, I believe he's God's choice to replace Judas. But Peter's going to do a lottery. So two guys are chosen that have been with them from the beginning. And they bring those two guys forward. And one's Justice and one, the other one's Matthias, right? And so... Peter says, okay, God, show us. And if Peter would have been smart, he would have realized, you know what Jesus did before he chose the 12? He spent the whole night on the mountain alone with God, his father. And then he came down and he appointed 12 apostles. If you look at Acts 13, they obviously got it because they were fasting and praying and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate unto me, Barnabas and Paul. But Peter's going to do a lottery. So in reality, Peter is completely out of sync with God. Now, he's not in sin. It's not a sin to do a lottery. But he's out of sync. Okay? Now, if, if it's today... <laughs> and and, and let, me, let me just finish the story. They do the lottery. Matthias wins the lottery. And he's appointed by Peter and the rest. But you never hear his name again. The rest of the Bible. 
He's never once mentioned. Why? Because Paul was God's pick. Okay? Now, if, if this would have happened today, we would have had a three-way church split. I'm serious. You would have had the anti-lottery apostle picking group split off. You would have had the apostles passed away group when Jesus ascended to heaven split off. And you would have had the lottery picking apostles stay. But you know what the very next verse says after that lottery? The very next verse. They were all with one accord in one place. They were one heart, one mind, one accord. And the power of God fell. And 3,000 people get saved without even an announced meeting. So this is the question. This is the question I need, to, I need you to ask yourself. Is it more important that you're right or more important that you're one? Now, we're not, talking, we're not talking about sin. We're not talking about sin. The Bible says there's a higher authority. Leaders tell you to sin. Don't listen. Okay? But these leaders are never going to tell you not to sin. They might do things different. You might think of things that are better, a better way of doing things. But is it more important to be right? Or is it more important to be one? If we're going to see the move of God that he wants for oceans, we have to ask, is it more important that we're right? Or is it more important that we're one? Now, I had to learn this the hard way. Why? Because I am an energetic young man. I got a lot of vision, a lot of passion. And I'm working for two major pastors the first seven years of ministry. And I think I know how to do things better. So in the midst of all this, I'm out. And I'm praying every day for an hour to an hour and a half. And I'm out there. And I had just read in the Bible. I had just read. It was in my Bible. I was in the book of Isaiah. And I'd read chapter 6. And I was so impacted. Now, I'm going to read it to you, and hopefully we've got Isaiah 6. Can we put it up? Yeah, we got it. We got it. We got it. I don't know where it's going. Am I in the way? Where, where does it go? I don't know. Is there screens all over? There it is. Okay. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the train of his robe would be his glory, his greatness. It fills this temple. Now, you know, guys, don't think of this little temple, Okay. This, this is an arena in heaven that probably seats over a billion people. Okay? So I want you to get that image. It's not the Staples Center. It's not, you know, Pasadena where they got the Rose Bowl. It's not that. It, this is an arena that sits over a billion beings. Okay? So the train of his robe filled this arena. Above it, above the throne, stood seraphim. Now, these are massive, mighty angels. Each one had six wings. That blows most people's religious minds right there. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, they flew. And now look at this. One cried to another, Holy! It's the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. No, John says, Holy, holy, holy. No, I didn't read Holy, holy, holy on purpose. They're crying holy. Wow. Now, I know, what was this, John Bacchus wrote the hymn that many people fall asleep in when we sleep. Holy, holy, holy. Right? You remember that? And most people just yawn when they're singing it. That's not what's happening here, okay, guys? Whenever a Hebrew writer wanted to emphasize a word, they would write it twice. Okay? Now, in English, if I'm an author. I'm, oh, gosh, I'm just finishing up a book. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, 
I have been so immersed in it. And this is, this is a little snippet of it. Uh, so anyway, whenever, uh, whenever I write, and I want to emphasize the word, we italicize it. Some people on their emails, like when I'm writing my staff and I want to emphasize the word, I boldface it. But, 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 but today in, in, in proper writing a book, you italicize it, right? Or we underline a word if we want to emphasize it. Not, not a Hebrew writer. A Hebrew writer would write the word twice. Are, are you familiar with Jesus going, verily, verily, I say unto you? Okay, Jesus doesn't have a speech impediment. If you're John and you're at the Last Supper and Jesus, go, Jesus says, verily. I say unto you guys. All right, John's like, whoa, there's a lot of emotion behind that word. There's a lot of emphasis around that word. I'm writing this one twice. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord's written twice, not because he has a speech impediment, because it's an emphasis, right? Now, Hebrews are careful with words. You know, we're so careless with words. Oh, man, that movie was awesome. I went to this burger place the other day. The burger was awesome. Yeah. Do you know what, what awesome? Awesome is never used in the Bible except in relationship to God. Awesome means full of awe. So we're careless. I'm not, a, I'm not getting down on us for being careless. Hebrews understood the value of words. I mean, they wouldn't even write the vowels of God's name. Are you following me? So, so here, here, here's, here's Isaiah. And he doesn't write holy twice. He writes it three times. Now this only happens like Three or four times in the whole Bible. You've got the book of Revelations. The angels cry, whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants that are left on the earth before these last plagues come. They don't say, whoa, whoa, whoa. They say, whoa. And it's so loud. John said, okay, I got to emphasize this to the third degree. To emphasize a word to the third degree, you can place no higher emphasis. Okay, so do you understand these angels are not singing a a song to God to make God feel good about himself. They are responding to what they see. Every single moment, another facet, another facet of his glory is being revealed and and the one just cries the other, holy! And they're crying holy so loud. You know what the Bible says? Look at the next verses. And the posts... I lost, my, I lost mine. See, I knew this would happen. The next, the next, so, um, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Okay, so they're crying holy so loud. They're shaking the doorposts of this massive arena. Now, when Lisa and I built a home in Orlando, Florida, this custom home builder said to us, he said, hey, if a tornado comes, all you got to do is make sure you get underneath the door jams of the interior room of the house because that's the safest place. Okay? This isn't the door jams of a house in Florida. This is the door jams of, a, of an arena that seats a billion people, over a billion beings. Do you understand how these angels, they're, they're not saying, you know, God, I've been singing, I've been saying this for 10 trillion years. Can I have a replacement and go some other, see some other places in heaven? There's no place they'd rather be. Wow. You know, every person that has had a near-death experience that has seen heaven said that the most absolutely amazing place is the throne room. And by the way, heaven is going to be the most exciting existence. This, this... If, if, you've, if you've got an image of just having a nonstop praise service for, you know, eternity, that's not heaven. 
this earth is a shadow of how exciting heaven is. There's going to be cities to build. There's going to be communities to plan. There's going to, there's going to be, listen, galaxies to develop. It's going to be amazing, okay? But anyway, that's another story. So Isaiah sees the Lord. Obviously, he's not in his body because Moses wanted to see God, and God said, he can't see me and live. So he's in the spirit. He's right before this throne. He sees God. And you know what's amazing? Listen. What's his response? He has to go, whoa, there he is. No. So I said, woe is me. Do you know woe is the highest form of judgment a prophet can call in the Bible? Now, this is what's interesting. This is a godly man. If you go one chapter earlier... He goes, woe are those who call good evil and evil good. Woe to those who are proud. Woe to those who linger long at the bottle. Woe to those who are evil, right? This guy's he's a godly man. He's a preacher of righteousness. But he has one glimpse of the Lord in his glory, in his full glory. It's no longer woe is the wicked. It's no longer woe is the proud. It's, no, it's woe is me. What's happening? For the first time in his life, he realizes who this awesome God is he's serving. And for the first time in his life, he realizes who he is before this awesome God. So here I am. I'm in the ministry. I'm very opinionated. I think my leader could be doing things so much better. And I'm, because I'm the youth pastor, I've got some say around here. And I'm out, I'm out in the woods, and I'm, I just read this this morning, and I start praying. This is what I was praying. I said, God, I, that's what I need. I need what Isaiah saw. I need a fresh vision of Jesus. See, this is what you want. You want a fresh vision of Jesus. Okay? I said, God, I need a fresh vision. I need a fresh vision of Jesus. Is that my timer? I just got to make sure I'm not long. I'm good. Okay. Okay. So I said, God, I, I, I got to have a, a fresh vision. I just, I got to have a fresh vision. And I'm out praying in the woods and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And he said, son, that's not how I started the verse. I said, what? He said, that's not how I started the verse. And I'm like, I'm confused. And he's like, go read it again. So I went back. And I started reading. I got my Bible. I'm out in the woods. We don't have phones and tablets back in those days. So I opened up my Bible. I got my little handheld Bible. And I started reading chapter 6, verse 1. In the year, let's, let's, in the year that King Uzziah died, the Holy Spirit said to me, stop. He said Uzziah had to die before Isaiah could have a fresh vision of me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm only saved, you know, less than 10 years. I go, Who's this guy, Uzziah? Who is he? Now, I knew he's one of the kings of Judah or Israel, but I didn't know who he was. So, of course, the Lord says nothing, right? Like, go look it up, right? So, so I, I, I go over and I find him in 2 Chronicles 26. And I find out that he was one of the kings of Judah. And when he was 16 years old, he was made king. Because his father, Amaziah, had passed away. 
16 years old, you're made ruler of a couple million people. Now, you know what's interesting is he reigned 52 years as king of Judah. He's got the longest reign, I believe, of any of them. Maybe one had one longer. No, I don't think anybody did. Let me give you an idea. I've been under 10 U.S. presidents in the last 52 years of my life. Okay, so that's a long, long reign. So when he's 16 years old, he's made king, and what does he do? He's smart. He seeks the Lord like crazy. And the Bible says he sought the Lord, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Okay, now listen to this. You talk about prosper. Oh, my goodness. He starts rebuilding cities that were deserted. He starts conquering and taking back cities that his fathers had lost because of their disobedience to God. The economy begins to boom. The military is strengthened. And he restores Judah almost back to the glory, not quite, to the glory that Solomon had. I mean, like, he was majorly successful. Okay? Now, guys, can you follow me? Because I'm going to have to do this on my own. Go to, go to 2 Chronicles 26, and I'm so sorry. Like I said, I would have had a nice PowerPoint for you. Come on, baby. All right, there we go. It's finally listening to me. 2 Chronicles. I just want you to see this. All right, are you getting some out of this yet? All right, so it tells all, all right, all his accomplishments in the first 15 verses. But look at verse 16. But when he was strong, now watch this. When he was strong, Second uh, Chronicles 26, 16. Yes. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. Now, what is that? Come on, what's that? Come on, church. What is it? Everybody shout it. What, what is it when your heart's lifted up? Shout it. Pride. Another translation, the New Living Translation says his heart was filled with pride. Okay, when he was strong, his heart, at what point of the rule, we don't even know. His heart was lifted up. Pride. Okay, what happens? But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah, my grandson's name, the priest went in after him. This is is the priest going after the king, okay? A very powerful king. Azariah, the priest, went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You've trespassed. You shall have no honor from God. Then Uzziah became furious. This is what people that are proud do. When you confront them with truth, they get furious. He became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out in his forehead. He dies as a leper in an isolated house. And his son had to take over the administrative duties. Now, the Holy Spirit out in that woods asked me a question. He said, son, did Uzziah become more spiritual or less spiritual when pride entered his heart? Most people say less spiritual. That's not true. He became more spiritual. He entered the temple of the Lord to offer incense. 
And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, a spirit of pride and a spirit of religion will run hand in hand. And they will strengthen each other by covering each other up. Pride will keep you from admitting you've become religious. And religion, excuse me, pride will keep you from admitting you become religious. And religion will cover up your pride with spiritual behavior. So they hide each other and they strengthen each other. You still with me? Now I'm out praying. And this was later. And my heart has been breaking. I got, I kind of, I'm getting more of a father's heart. Okay. For the church. And my heart's breaking with all the falls. Now I'm not just talking about leadership. The leaders that are falling by having affairs, men leaving their families for a younger women in churches, all the things that are just, just the shipwrecks that are going on. My heart's breaking. And I'm in prayer and God spoke to me. Leprosy is a type of outward manifestation that is clearly seen to everybody. Okay, so let's just, let's just stop here and imagine, all right? We're in Jerusalem, Uzziah is our king, and we find out on the 6 o'clock news, or we find out on social media, that our king has leprosy. And we're all going, oh my gosh, our king's got leprosy. This is horrific. They didn't have the inside scoop. We have it. And God said to me, he said, son... These ministers don't have a hormone problem. They have a pride problem. In other words, the affair is the outward that is open to everybody. He said the real problem is the pride. See, here's the problem. He started seeking God and built a momentum of success. If you're called and you're walking, whether you're in the marketplace, in healthcare, whether you're in ministry, you're called. If you seek God with all your heart, you're going to be successful in the marketplace. You're going to be successful in healthcare. You're going to be sex, successful in government. You're going to be successful as a leader of a church. You're going to be successful as an administrator of a church. You're going to, whatever it is. But here's what happens. Momentum is developed. And what fueled that momentum, seeking the Lord with all your heart, is no longer driving it. But momentum is what it is. Momentum means it continues to move when that which pushed it is no longer pushing it. So the success continues, but the heart begins to drift and it's easier to drift into pride because you're still successful even though you're not doing what you originally did that got you going. So now all of a sudden... What happens with pride? The Bible says the glory of the Lord is our rear guard. You ever notice that all the armor of God is forward facing? But Isaiah 58 says the glory of the Lord is our rear guard. Well, God says I'm sharing my glory with nobody. So when somebody enters into pride, what leaves? The rear guard. Which means you're, you're blindsided. You don't see what's coming is coming. 
because this is the thing that bothered me. How can these pastors, how can these pastors who have seen so many others fallen, I have my own first two pastors aren't even it. Well, they fell. One was, one was, his heart went after another woman. The other one was homosexuality. He was over 50,000 churches. He's got a church of two or 300 now. And I'm sitting there going, okay, that's going to be an example because it was known to all of America, both of them. That's going to be an example. We're not going to have any more fallings. We're not going to have any more. No, but it keeps happening and happening and happening. Why? The rear guard is gone. They're blinded. I hope this puts a little holy fear in you. God makes a statement in Isaiah 57. This is the one I'm going to dwell with. See, it's one thing to have a visitation from God. It's another thing when God says, I'm going to dwell. God says, I'm going to dwell with those with a contrite heart and are humble. God says in Isaiah 66, the one I pay close attention to, the one I give my full attention to, is those that are humble and tremble at my word. Now, the problem is we don't get humility in the church. We don't get it. This is what kept me from Christianity when I was in playing varsity tennis at Purdue University. I played the UST circuit. I played Junior Davis Cup. I, I, was, I was an athlete. And I saw all Christian men as weak and wimpy and spineless. And it kept me from walking with God. I didn't want to hear from them. But you know, God knows how stupid you are as an unsaved person, so he, he sends one of the best athletes in the state of Indiana to my fraternity room. He was in my fraternity to share with me the gospel. The guy that shared two hours with me a year told me later, he said, I walked out of your, 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 your dorm room before this was my freshman year. He said, weeping, because you were so blind to what I was saying. And he was so excited I got saved. But it took, you know, God knows what you need. So the athlete comes up, I get saved. Why, why, why am I talking about this? Why? Okay, I know I brought this up for a reason. So, I'm saved. Now, I love Jesus with all my heart. And I'm, I'm like, there's a process. Okay? But, but this, the reason I said that is, this is what kept me out of ministry. This is what kept me from a relationship with God. Is because I saw all Christian men as weak with me. It's finalist. So when the best, one of the best athletes in the state of Indiana shares with me, my attention was arrested. You, you understand what I'm saying? But then later I came to understand we don't get pride. We see pride as being... Do you know that people that are truly humble are often mistaken as being arrogant? Do you know that? Okay. David, he's 16 years old. His dad says, bring cheese and meat to your brothers. They're in the battle with the Philistines. He comes, he brings the cheese and meat, puts it with the suppliers, comes out to see how the army's doing, and they're in a, all in a strange new battle position, shivering and hiding behind rocks because of this 10-foot giant named Goliath. And David looks at his brother, his oldest brother, Elab, 
And the rest of the soldiers says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Do you know what Elab says to him? I know the, I know the haughtiness of your heart. You arrogant little snot. Get out of here and get back and watch the sheep. That's what his oldest brother said to him. Because David's the eighth son. He's the firstborn son. You arrogant little snot. Go read it up. That's the Bevere translation. But it does say, it does say, it does say, I know the conceit and the pride that's in you, right? Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who's proud? Go back one chapter earlier. The senior prophet of Israel comes to Samuel's house and says, there is a king among your sons. First one that comes out is Elab, the oldest boy, right? Samuel thinks, whoo, this is the king because he's head and shoulders above everybody. He's strong. He looks like a king. I mean, he's all American, Notre Dame, lineman. He's unbelievable, right? And Samuel goes, got to be him. And God goes, don't even look at his outward. I've rejected him. Listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only one thing causes God to reject you, pride. So the very, the very thing, the very thing that Elab accuses David of having, he has. Are you tracking with this? I mean, have you ever read Numbers chapter 12, verse 3? Numbers 12, verse 3 says this, if they want to put it up, great. Now, the man Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You ever read that? Okay, let me, let me ask you, who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. Okay, you really got to be humble to write you're the most humble man on the face of the earth. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to show you somebody else. That, I'm going to show you somebody else that did it. Before you laugh at me out of this building, I'm going to show you somebody else that did it. Jesus. Matthew 10. All you that are heavy laden and burdened, come to me. I am meek and humble, and I want to teach you about it. Jesus said, I am humble, and I want... Okay, the Bible tells us to clothe ourselves with humility. I put these clothes on on purpose. I just didn't happen to fall into them this morning. I actually thought before I packed my suitcase, I will wear this shirt on Sunday morning because I had a tux in there for the event last night. And, and I said, I want to do a carry on. So I'm going to wear this shirt. I'm going to wear these jeans. I put them all on on purpose. How in the world are you supposed to clothe yourself with humility if you don't even know what it is? So what is true humility? It is your absolute, complete, and utter dependence on God. You know that you can't do anything apart from Him. Jesus said, after you've done all these things that have been commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. That's the attitude you have. I just watched the premiere of the Jesus movement that's coming out. I just, the, 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 the Elway brothers who did the Kurt Warner movie and the uh, I Can Only Imagine, they have done a movie on the Jesus movement, and you need to see it because it started right at Pirates Cove. And it, but, 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 but uh, you know, it spread throughout the United States, and I want to talk about that before I'm done. And um, I'm watching the preview on Friday or Thursday. I'm watching the preview, and I'm heartbroken because of one of them lost sight of it was God working through him and died a tragic death. One of the three, big three ones. The other two finished well. 
And I'm heartbroken. You're absolutely, utterly dependent on God. You know you can't do anything apart from Him. Second, the second earmark of humility is your absolute obedience to God. You obey God whether you see a reason or not. Whether you understand it or not. Whether it hurts or not. The Word of God is your standard. Interpreted by the Holy Spirit, of course, right? Because we don't want to get under the law. But you don't figure out ways of getting out of obeying what God says. You don't do a big blanket grace and say, Hey man, I can get drunk, it's okay. I can divorce my... I had a girl say this to me, seriously. She's divorcing her husband. She said, hey, I married him. She said, I did the ceremony. She said, my husband is a great father. He's a great husband, but I just didn't love him from the day one. And I made a big mistake. And Jesus told me he'd be with me through the divorce. Another girl I know, raised, raised. Our kids used to eat Thanksgiving dinner with her. She posted on her Instagram, Jesus held my hand as I aborted my baby. Okay, I'm like, what Jesus are you two talking about? I had a guy in this county walk up to me and say, John, you know, uh, I'm single. I just got to sleep with girls. You know, I got needs, man. And, you know, then I realized oh, I should probably, shouldn't probably do this. So I stop a few months, but then I sleep with them again. But that, that's not why I'm up here talking to you. I want to I ask you why God's not blessing my business. Seriously, that was the conversation in this county. And I'm like, hey, did you ever hear... Did you ever hear that God said, those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who, light, those who lightly esteem me, I'll lightly esteem them. Do you think maybe because you lightly esteem God's word in this area of sexuality, which by the way, the Bible says these that practice will not inherit the kingdom. Do you think maybe that's why God lightly esteems your business? You still with me? I love you enough to say this because I got a daddy's heart and I'm fed up. I'm fed up. I am fed up with people getting taken out. I mean, do you know that Barna, do you know that Barna did a study and it's a big one he did from 2000 to 2020, 20 years, over 40 million Practicing Christians are no longer practicing Christians. 20 million of them, if you push them into a corner, they'll say, I'm a Christian. But they don't publicly worship. They don't pray anymore. The other 20 million are professed atheists and agnostics. Okay, what's happening? It's a lack of true humility. We think we can choose and obey what areas. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to do whatever I command you. You know what a lot of things people don't realize? There's over 500 commandments in the New Testament. I can show you a boatload of them in Ephesians 4 4 and 5. Do not steal. Do not use foul and abusive language. I could go on and on and on. These are commandments to be saved. In the Old Testament, you had to obey commands to be saved. And they came up with 612 of them. And nobody could ever do it. In the New Testament, God says, I've changed your nature, so you have no problems keeping my commands. 
but but you don't you don't you don't keep those commands to be saved. You keep those commands because you do love me. Lisa doesn't refuse flirting from men because she has to. She's my wife and she loves and honors me. And she's like, she tells me all the time when she flies how guys hit on her. And I just laugh because I know she fears God and I know. She's like, oh, you want to meet my grandchildren? You have grandchildren? Yes. And I'm happily married. And they, they usually stop at that point. She doesn't do that because she has to have, do it to have a relationship with me. She does it because that's what we do when we're in a coveted marriage. Okay? So, number one, your complete and utter dependence upon God. You know you can't do anything apart from Him. Number two, your utter obedience. Number three, the way you view yourself in the light of others and God. Paul says in Philippians, the second chapter, hopefully I can quote this right. You can put it up if you want. Uh, And do the New Living Translation if you got it, guys. He says, hey, do nothing through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem everyone else, everybody else better than themselves. And then he makes this statement. He said, let this mind be in you. What mind? Esteeming everybody better than themselves that was in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, who humbled himself. Even though he was equal to God because he is God, he humbled himself and took it on the form of a slave. He put off all of his divine privileges and was obedient. Listen to the word obedient, humility and obedience to the point of death. That means he obeyed to the point of suffering. Now, religion says I'm going to suffer to impress my little G, O.D., my little God. Christianity says I love God so much, but I live in a fallen world and I realize obeying God, I will suffer. Do you see the difference? So Jesus, in obeying God, met right up against a hostile church. Now, who I absolutely adore is Paul the Apostle. Because Paul makes a statement in Philippians 3, after he talks about Jesus in Philippians 2, he says, I have not attained. So because I haven't attained, I haven't arrived yet. I forget those things which are behind. Now, everybody always gets up and uses that and says, you've got to forget your past failures, your mistakes. I agree. True. Yeah, you need to do that. But Paul's not talking about that. Go read it in context. He's talking about all of his accomplishments that he did in Christ. He said, I got to forget everything I've done. See, this is what happens. People start focusing too much on how God has used them. This is what you're going to see in the Jesus movement movie, okay? And he said, I press. He presses towards what? Press means there's opposition. He presses towards being truly humble. Now, watch this. You ready for this? You ready for this? 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, the letter was written in 56 AD. I want you to track track this with me, okay? Can you go there? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10, guys. Just just help me out here. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. And do the New King James on this one, okay? Look at this. I want you to read these words. For I am the least... Of the apostles. And I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me wasn't in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. They all who? All the other apostles. He just said, I got more fruit than all the other apostles. Boy, that sounds arrogant. You conceited, 
little. I've got more fruit than all the other apostles. But, not, but it was the grace of God which was with me. Now, I'm the least. Do you know what he just wrote? I'm bottom of the barrel. Look at all the apostles. There's about 23 listed in the New Testament, including one woman, by the way. There's 23 listed in the New Testament. He said, I'm bottom of the barrel of all of them. Now, do you know what fake, fake humility is? Hey, man, it really wasn't me. It was God. But inside you're going, take a good look. And I'm going to say it with that fake, humble voice. It really wasn't me, man. It was God. But take note. Take note. Take note. Okay. What is that called? Lying. Correct? False humility is nothing more than a big lie. Or an exaggeration, which is also a lie. Now, stop and think with me. Can a person pen words that is going in the eternal word of God under false humility, pretense, lying? Never. The only way the Holy Spirit is going to let him write those words is if he really sees himself as bottom of the barrel of all the apostles. That's the only way he's going to even be permitted to write those words. Now, that's 56 A.D. Let's go six years to 62 A.D. He writes a letter to the Ephesus church. And look what he says in, oh gosh, I'm doing this by memory. Chapter 3, verse 7. I believe it is. Go there in the New King James. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the effective working of his power. Verse 8, please. Verse 8, to me, watch this, who am less than the least of all the saints. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Seven years ago, the Holy Spirit said, okay, you really see yourself bottom of the barrel, bottom of the barrel of all the apostles. I'm going to let you write it. But now what is he doing? He's pressing into true humility. So now six years later, he doesn't see himself as bottom of the barrel of all the apostles. I'm bottom of the barrel of all the saints. And the Holy Spirit said, you can write that now, because that's really the way you see yourself. And and if you go to the letter of Timothy, which is two years later, right before he's headed, he said to me, I am the chiefest of all sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. Not I was, I am. He never lost sight. Never lost sight. Do you remember what Peter said when people lose godly virtue? They lose holy fear. They lose true humility. What did Peter say? They forgot they were forgiven of their former sins. They lost sight of the hell they deserved, of the offense they committed against God, that they should have been burning in a lake of fire forever. What happened? They got blinded. Their rear guard left them. I, I got saved at the tail end of the Jesus Revolution. That's why I wanted to see this movie. That's why I was so excited about the guys making this movie. You know, 
We haven't had a move of God in our nation in 40 years. Because yes. <laughs> it, it tailed off the Jesus Revolution in the very early 80s. Right. Yeah, we've had Brownsville. We've had, yeah. we've had Toronto. We've had, yeah. what else? Yeah. Uh, 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 Reading. Um, right. Those are locations. The Jesus Revolution hit the whole nation. Time Magazine did a big article on it because it was hitting the entire nation. We haven't had a move of God like that in 40 years. I'm going to tell you why I believe. Why I believe. When I was early, early in ministry in the early 80s, God said to me, I've given my church a thimble full of my power. Listen to the words, a thimble full. Now, I'm going to tell you the services that I was a part of. Because I'm the pastor's executive assistant. I know these aren't phony. People are walking in with red and white walking canes. Can't see a thing. And walking out seeing. Ambulance backing up to our building of 4,000 people. They wheel a guy who has less than 24 hours left to live. And the guy gets healed so miraculously, he pushes the gurney out. Jesus appeared, Jesus appeared in one of our services. 800 people on that that wing, we, we had a wing that went all the way around in our 4,000 seat auditorium. He appeared over there. All those people in that wing saw him and screamed. He had two angels beside him. It was like that. When he left, there was an imprint of his face on the wall, 10 feet high, 8 feet wide. And it looked like the Shroud of Turan, and it stayed on the wall for a year and a half. People came from all over the United States to see it. Okay? I'm living, I'm thinking, normal Christianity. I'm watching, I, 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 we have a wall full of wheelchairs and, and braces and everything. I, I mean, I, I know these are real miracles. Yes. And God speaks to me in the middle of all this. He said, I've given my church a thimble full of my power. See how she'd handle it. Wow. See if she'll market it, make money off of it, use it to draw people to herself. Wow. Jesus is like, don't, go, don't tell anybody. Wow. Just tell the priest. But we didn't handle it well. We marketed it. We made money off of it, put it on television. Today it would be YouTube or Instagram live. We didn't handle it well. So you know what the Lord said to me? He said, I'm going to bring my church into a wilderness. He said, I'm going to develop character in her to handle the full measure of my power. Now what's interesting to me is we've been in that wilderness for 40 years. My sons, when I talk to them about the miracles, they're like, they're like Dad, we've never seen this. I said, I know. Because we've been in a wilderness for 40 years. Well, guess what? Moses was on the backside of the desert for 40 years to get all of Egypt out of him so he could be a real leader. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and came out in the power thereof. I believe, I believe we're on the verge of one of the greatest moves of God this earth has ever seen. And I'm going to tell you what, I believe that's why God sent this couple to this area because it was right up at Pirate's Cove that where it really happened. And you got two leaders here that aren't thinking just about oceans. They're thinking about every pastor and every church in this city. And that's why I think it would be good to go to Pirate's Cove and baptize. But not just this church, every church that was willing. What's going to be the earmark of these people? They fear God and walk in true humility. The book I just wrote is called The Awe of God. It comes out February 21st. I, I told our team, I said, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do a nationwide tour. 
I talked to Kim Walker Smith. She's she's in, she's she canceled her whole spring. I said, oh. And I'm going to preach the fear of the Lord. See, I just preached to you the fear of the Lord. You didn't know it, but I just did. You didn't know it. Fear of the Lord is called God's treasure. Think about it. God, Isaiah 33, 6. Look it up later. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Do you know what Isaiah 11 says? That Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Do you know what Paul the Apostle says? Our, our, our salvation is matured through fear and trembling. Yes. Why does Paul say there's going to be a massive apostasy in the last days? Why does he say that? Do you ever read it? He said, the Antichrist can't come until the apostasy happens, the great falling away from the faith. Read it in the Amplified. It's unreal. Why? Because the enemy foresaw the doctrine of perverted grace that he would sell the church. And see, that doctrine of perverted grace, what it does is it introduces people to a movement, to a community, but not to a person. Because you don't even begin to know who Jesus is until you fear God. So everybody wants to be a part of a community. It's not good that man's alone. Believe me. I'm sitting here this morning thinking, gosh, I'd love to be a part of this community. I mean, seriously, you, you, we desire community. But let me, let me, let me, let me, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you something. The, what's the one and only description of the church that Jesus is coming back for? What's the one and only description? It's not a leadership-driven church. Is leadership important? You better believe it. Without leadership, we're not getting anything done. It's not a community church. It's a community important. You better believe it. It's not good that man's alone. It's not a relevant church. It's relevance important. You better believe it. You're not going to reach the loss without relevance. Boy, do I believe in relevance. It's a holy church without spot or wrinkle. That's the only description. What produces holiness? Paul the apostle, the one who had the revelation of grace, wrote it. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God spoke to my heart and he said, the final move of my spirit before Jesus returns on this earth is going to be a move of the fear of God. And he said, it's going to produce the holy church, the holy bride that my son is going to come back for. The earmark of this move will be holy fear and humility, which are the power twins of the Bible. Now, it's a 42-chapter book. I just preached one chapter. I'll come back in January and preach another chapter, okay? But let me say this. If Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord, you should too, and I should too. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for what you've given to us. We are so grateful to you. Holy Spirit, thanks for not letting me preach the message that I brought. Thanks for giving us the message you want for this church. I'm asking you now, Lord, draw men and women to your heart. Draw them to your heart. All right, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you walking in true humility? Come on. You know if you put your clothes on this morning or not. You know if you're walking in humility or not. To those three things describe you. Your complete and utter dependence upon God your absolute obedience to his word and the way you see yourself compared to others. If you're not, you'd say, John, I want to repent of the pride in my heart, the arrogance in my heart. I know what's there. I'm going to be honest. And I want to embrace true humility. And I'm going to stand for it right now. If that's you, stand up right now. If that's you, just stand up really fast. Man, I love this church. Look at this. This is amazing. 
Don't stand if you don't need to. You know if you got that clothing on. I am so proud of you. There is only one way to walk in true humility. And that is to give Jesus Christ the complete and total lordship of your life. Which means he's your owner and he's your supreme authority. I'm going to obey him whether I understand it or not. Whether I see the reason or not. Whether it hurts or not, I'm going to obey. Whether my friends think I'm crazy or not, I'm going to obey. I want you to put your hands up to heaven. This is really simple. Holy Spirit of God, I've preached what you've commanded me to preach. Now I'm asking you, confirm your word. Manifest the presence of Jesus on these people who are so bold and so brave to stand so quickly. Touch them now, Master. Touch them. There's His presence right there. Right there. There He is. Some of you have never sensed this presence before. You've never sensed it. But John, we haven't prayed. Well, the prodigal son didn't pray either, and his father came running. That's why God's touching you now before we've even prayed. There's his presence right there, right there, right there. Right now, he's touching people that are in their hearts. They're turning to him as supreme Lord and master. There he is. You'll remember this for years. There he is right there. Some of you in here, you're going to remember this for years. I sense it. There's his presence. He's walking through this tent, I'm telling you. Touch them, Master. Touch them. Touch them deeply. In the very core of their being. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. There's his presence right there. Now I want you to speak to the one you're beholding. Speak to him. Say this. Dear Father, thank you for being so merciful to me that you would speak to my heart and open my heart to your truth. Please forgive me for pride and arrogance, for living life my way, apart from you, my creator. But today, September 18th, 2022, I give you my spirit, soul, and body, Jesus. Everything I am, everything I have, I'm completely yours forever. And you're completely mine forever. Fill me. Fill me with the presence of your spirit. There he is. There he is. Now I want you in your own words. I don't care if you just say, you're so cool. Just say something to him out of gratitude. Just say it. Father, I thank you so much.
placing a seal on these men and women, the seal of your spirit, the guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Now give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.